name's Henry. By the way, my mom is working for Birth Monopoly. I have a secret that I can't tell anybody. But I know about Birth Monopoly is not very much. And this is Birth Aloud with Kristen Piscucci. Today, I'm doing something different. It's my birthday. I'm with my mother, and we're in the car together. That's her turn signal you just heard. Last weekend was Mother's Day, and somehow the subject of my birth came up, and we just talked about it for like a couple minutes, and I thought, man, I want to know more about that. So since we're stuck in the car together today for a long time, I figured I would ask my mom about giving birth in 1979, what things were like, and what her, um, what her experience was prenatal birth and postpartum. So this is my mom, Michelle. Hi, Mom. Hi there. <laughs> mom, I thought it was interesting that we've never really talked about my birth before last weekend, and now I'm 39 years old, and I think that's interesting. So why do you think that we have never talked about my birth? I don't think you've ever asked about your birth. And I believe last weekend I mentioned Lamaze and mm -hmm. the breathing routine. And you said, well, you never told me you used Lamaze. And I said, well, I did for both you and Matt. And that's what started the conversation. Ah. Interesting. Well, I did think it's weird that in all these years, I never knew that you and dad prepared that way. Okay, so tell me about that. Why did you decide to do Lamaze? Um, because I didn't know anything about birthing. First of all, when your dad and I got married, I didn't think that I was capable of having children. So we waited five years before we had you. And it was mostly waiting on me because I just didn't feel like I was capable of bearing a child and then raising a child. Capable how? Capable in terms of I had no clue how to raise a child. But more than that, medically, I had no idea what it involved. So the type of person I am, after I waited five years and had matured a little bit and been around other couples that had children, then I felt like, eh, I am probably ready to, to um, experience it. But I went into it, like I do most things, ready to learn. So I read everything I could get my hands on in order to have some knowledge about the experience that was going to change our lives. Interesting. So did you have any reason to think that you were, like, physically not capable? I had no reason to believe that. My mom uh, had cesarean sections for, I believe, all three of us because, of course, she was told at that time once she had cesarean. And she was very small. 
and I believe that's why she had to have it with my brother first. So that was in 1949? 49. 49, okay. Yes. And then the I first was born one. in 51, and my sister was born in 53. And so I remember her saying at different times about her cesarean section, but she was also a registered nurse, so she kind of took it as a matter of fact. You know, she trusted the medical field, and she also talked about most medical things very factually. And so there was no need to have a fear or to not trust the medical field in her estimation. But when I experienced it, she did not live in my hometown, but she did come for the births of both of my children to help me. I didn't know that. So yeah. she was actually in the room when it happened? No, she was there after the births. Okay. What did she say about her cesarean sections? Once again, I think it was very matter of factual. She didn't really tell details. Of course, I saw the scar, and she explained that it was because of her small, you know, she was like four nine. 411 and a half, I think that's what it was. 411 and a half. Four feet, 11 and a half inches. So she was small. She was a petite woman. And it wasn't a shock to me that she had cesarean because she was at a small pelvis. I knew she had had three C sections. But I never heard anything about it. Like, uh-huh. Although she did tell me. Well, back in those days, you just did what they said, and you didn't ask questions. Yeah, I think that it was it was too fact. That may have been because she um, was trained uh, in Bayonne at. Was it oh, a, as an army nurse. As an army nurse, right. And so... Oh, and now it's raining, so my editor's going to kill me. Hey. <laughs> Between the road noise and the rain. Sorry. <laughs> um, she was trained in Bayonne in a military um, base. And so, once again, she had that male influence in terms of her learning to be a registered nurse. But then she went to work in hospitals... Actually, she worked, when I can remember, in a factory as like a clinical nurse. And then she worked for the county health department after that. So as far as experience in the medical field, I believe that it was influenced by her medical experience, her medical experience with doctors and the fact that I was taught to trust the medical field, medical experts. I believe that her experience taught her to trust the medical experts, and that's why I agree that she probably said to you, you know, you just did what they said. But also her experience with them taught her to do that, and her being trained by them taught trained her. Trained to be deferential and, like, Trained respectful? to be a nurse, yes, to be respectful. When the doctor came into the room, they were just ready. If they weren't ready... The doctors let them know that, that kind of training. 
and there weren't questions to ask. You know, nurses were were looked upon as serving them, just doing whatever they asked when they asked for it, and you didn't. Or and anticipating their needs too. Sure. Yep. Yeah. Which is funny because I have a hard time imagining her doing that. Well, she was very young and she was being trained. <laughs> She wasn't the most, like, warm and uh, serving of people. <laughs> well, she didn't maintain that attitude when she was 80. <laughs> or even she worked until, she worked way past retirement age. Like, maybe till she was 72 as a registered nurse. But she had focused on working for the CDC for the state of Florida. So it wasn't that she was under any close influence of doctors or, you know, that kind of thing. She was kind of on her own as far as taking interviews of um, people with hepatitis B at that point. And like you said, and I think that she did have a totally different attitude about the medical field at that time and the influence of doctors. How so? Well, when my father passed away in 1963, he was in the hospital. He had gone into the hospital after having years of asthma. And we moved to Arizona, actually, for his asthma from New York. We were there two years, and his asthma got worse. And the doctors at that time in Arizona said, in Phoenix, said that, it was due to him being homesick because your nervous system is tied in with your respiratory system, etc. And so we moved back to New York thinking it might get better. And within a month, he was in the hospital. And the last time that I saw him, he was under an oxygen tent, breathing heavily, labored breathing. And then he passed away during the night. And the reason that I mentioned that is because my mom totally lost confidence at that point because my father passed away during the night when she wasn't there. She had, oh. left, she had left the hospital after a few days to go home and just rest and freshen back up. And when she came back, he had, or they had called her and he had passed away during the night. And to her, it was so traumatic so traumatic. He was in his early 30s and she was traumatized. She was in shock that that had happened in the hospital of our hometown when she knew the doctors. That, that he had died without her being there, you mean? Well, that he had died in the hospital. That he died at all? That, yes. That someone wasn't there caring for him. That that would even happen. It was... It was out of the question. It was totally out of the question for that to happen in her mind. She really, she really went into shock. When asked about it, of course, and it was very hush-hush because whether she did ask about it, I, I don't know at that time. It was years later when she was in an elevator many, many years later had to be somewhere between 10 and 20. Point being that she was in an elevator at the hospital 
working. And, At the same hospital? Yep. And a doctor was in the elevator with her and looked at her name tag and said, oh, you're Betty Ruth. I'm so sorry what happened with your husband. That never should have happened. And so my mom, of course, like I said, she was already in shock. And then she somehow searched out, either by asking him or someone else, about a board meeting that the doctors had. And that's where it was revealed that it was not supposed to happen, that his care wasn't what she trusted that it would be. And her suspicion from that doctor was born out of that doctor saying that that never should have happened to your husband. So they didn't save his life? He shouldn't have died at that time? Right. He was under an oxygen tent. It should have been monitored. It wasn't being monitored. I don't know what happened. I, to this day, I don't know if he had... We never... You know, you can, nowadays, you don't die from asthma. You know, under an oxygen tent with breathing machine, I don't know what happened. I don't yeah. know what happened. I never, I never heard any of that before. Yeah. And so, my whole point being that my mother totally, between the traumatic shock of losing him so quickly and trusting the medical field, she went into a deep depression for many years, many years. And we, my aunt, who was very close to her, tried to talk to her about it. And my mom gave herself to her work at the health department. She did it the way she had always done it, but she carried that heaviness of, I think, not being able to reconcile his death along with vowing never to work in a hospital again. Wow. Yeah. I never knew that. Yeah, she she made it very clear she would never work in a hospital again, and she did. I never heard her say a bad word about hospitals <laughs> that well, I can remember. If she was sitting here in this interview now, instead of me, she would probably freely talk about it. Wow. Probably with some uh, drama and some uh, anger. And some, some colorful language? I was going to say expletives of some sort. But I don't know that she ever talked to anyone else about it. You know, it was her profession. Right. And that was all she knew to do, too. So right. she was sort of like trapped Caught. doing a job that yes. she maybe didn't trust anymore? Yes. She definitely didn't trust hospitals. That's so bizarre. And I want to say that... I can't remember her going into a hospital to, in fact, that may be how it came up again, that she wouldn't even visit people in hospitals. Wow. So she was really traumatized about hospitals. And angry. Yeah. Wow. And angry. So how do you think that the way she thought about it, how do you think that influenced the way you thought about giving birth, if it did? Well, let me back up just a second to just interject that when I turned 15 or 16, I signed up to be a candy striper. Are you familiar with that? Uh-huh. I loved it. I loved being at the hospital. I loved learning about how to, how to take care of people. But I'm backtracking now. When I was five years old and people would say, do you want to be a nurse like your mom? And I said, no. 
So even when I was 16, I knew that I didn't want to be a nurse like my mom, but I loved being there. I was not influenced necessarily by my, by my father's death when I was a candy striper was, was what I was getting at. Although I had no desire to actually hands-on. With patients. In, well, serving them in terms of taking the library books around and going down in the where they cleaned all the instruments down to where the autoclave was and wandering around in the hospital to find different things and do the duties of a candy striper. I loved that. But as far as hands-on with patients, no, I had no interest. Back to your question so, about my birth, I guess. Yeah. How did that influence me, my mom's? Um, I don't believe it did. I had a good doctor prenatal doctor in Olean that I trusted, Dr. Wu. He was the doctor I had for both of my births, and I trusted him. Friends of mine, and maybe my mother, suggested him. So from the very beginning, my very first visit to him when your dad and I went. Why did you trust him? I think because my friends said that he was good, my mom said he was good, and also he took time to listen to my questions, no matter what they were. I remember I can see him sitting across from me at his desk and wanting to listen to my questions and then addressing them as they came up. And in fact, I met his wife and we met at another public place and she remembered me. And it was a small town, but he was very um, personable. You said you remember him being at his desk, so you were you were in his office when you asked questions? Yes, and I would come with my list of questions. And then, how did you decide on Lamas? Did the doctor suggest that? No, I don't believe so. I think it was either my friends. Once again, we were in a small town, so in the context of a small town, remember, between friends and also advertisements or whatever. And I was always looking too. I was always searching for information. And so um, I may have seen an advertisement or heard from my friends that, oh yeah, you want to go to a Lamas class. It's at a different hospital than my dad had been in. Hmm. And it was at um, St. Francis Hospital where you and Matt were both born. That no longer exists. Right, that no longer exists. The other hospital was a general hospital across town where my father passed away. So Lamaz was, uh, the classes were set up. Um, we went to the first meeting your dad and I did, and of course it was an introductory meeting telling us how many weeks it was going to be, how to dress, uh, what to expect as far as what basically a general overview of what was going to happen each week. It was uh, a fun class. We got to know the other couples. Everybody was very excited about their births. So that was kind of part of the perspective that you had going into it. Everybody had the same questions. They had the same fears. They had the same lack of knowledge. So when things came out, it was kind of like everybody goes, Oh, oh, okay, all right. It was positive from the get-go. So, Did you feel positive by then? Definitely, definitely. And that was, like I said, the doc meeting the doctor when we found out we were pregnant 
and then on to the Lamas classes were very positive experiences for walking through the process, yes. So then what happened when I was actually born? I have to say I remember the second birth better than I remember the first. <laughs> okay, fine. Well, it was only because there were complications with the second one. Ooh, I didn't know about that. Yeah. Were... I can't wait to tease my brother. Well. Okay, but we'll talk about that later. Okay, so the first one was, um, first of all, you, the nursery was set. My mom's birthday was the beginning of May. I was due maybe first or second week of May, maybe the first week of May, which my mom's birthday is the 4th of May. So I kept thinking, oh, it'd be so nice, so nice to have my baby. We didn't know whether it was boy or a girl at that time. Oh, that's right. Right. So it would be so nice to have my baby born on my mother's birthday or very near. So you were born May 18th. So those days um, between the 4th of May and the 18th of May were torturous for me. They were like nine months pregnant and waiting every hour thinking, could this be it? Could this be it? Maybe by tonight. Maybe by this evening. Funny story. Do you want me to tell it now? Let's go to a quick break and then sure. we'll hear your story. Okay. We'll be right back. You're listening to WLXU 93.9 LPFM Lexington, Lexington Community Radio. And this is Birth Aloud with Kristen Piscucci. This program is supported by attorney Susan Jenkins, a national advocate for midwives and birth activists, specializing in business, governmental, and political issues related to birthing rights and the practice of midwifery. She can be reached at area code 866-686-1348. Would you like to support Birth Aloud Radio? Please contact us at birthaloudradio at gmail.com. We're back with my mom, Michelle, and she was just about to tell a funny story right towards the end of her pregnancy with me. So we had a waterbed and the waterbed was in a frame, a wooden pine frame, and it was flat on the floor, just in the frame. There was no bottom This, this is the 70s, people. Oh, it sure is. 1979, in May of 1979 or so. So we were in bed together, and when you moved inside this, basically I would call it a bladder, at this point, because it's just a big bag of water. Bag of water, exactly. One night when I was trying to go to sleep and was uncomfortable, and you would think that it would be a wonderful experience because you're on this, you know, floating waterbed. But your father started laughing, and he was laughing kind of hard. And I said, What are you laughing at? And he said, Nothing. And I said, laughing at and he said really it's nothing and I said I want you to tell me what you're laughing what you're laughing at and he said oh I don't want to tell you I to tell you and I said well now you have to tell me so he said well okay he said 
feels like when you move in this waterbed, like I'm in the ocean with a whale. <laughs> he said, when you move, the waves just kind of make me, make me feel like I'm in the ocean. And I was so angry. I was so mad. And yet, I knew that I had asked for it. And I've never done it again. When he tells me that he's laughing at, or I can see he's laughing at something, and I say, what's so funny? I rarely make him tell me from that date. I just thought, that's how I feel. I feel like a whale in this waterbed. <laughs> I feel like I cannot move without me bouncing on the waves either, you know? But when he said he felt it, it just was, you know, you're sensitive at that time. You feel overweight. I was swollen. My feet were swollen. It was uncomfortable. It was very uncomfortable. Physically, I do not like to be uncomfortable. And it was May when it was starting to get hot. And I just wanted it to be over with. So when we went into the hospital, my water broke at home. So your dad called Dr. Wu, and he said he'd meet us at the hospital. They went ahead and saw that I was close enough to be admitted. How? Oh, they checked my cervix to see how many centimeters. Okay. And it was within, within time that they could admit me. And so I was admitted. I can't remember how long that labor was. It was difficult. It was not... It was not short. I would say it would have to have been maybe eight or nine hours. I weighed nine. six pounds, six nine, nine ounces. Six, nine. Yeah. Yeah. Six, nine. So how long was your labor? It was probably nine or ten hours. <laughs> That's really short for a first-time mom. Well, I can only think of the second one that was longer. That was very long. Well, what did you do during the nine hours or whatever? I did have Pitocin with both of my deliveries. Now I'm going to get into words that I don't know exactly what they mean. Okay, okay that's fine. So I wanted to go natural, of course, because I had gone through the Lumas and they had said, certainly if you can go ahead and have it without any, any assistance, you can have it natural, you know. And so I had doc- talked to Dr. Wu about it, and he said, definitely, you can have it naturally. So, I had an epidural. With me, you had an epidural? I want to say that I did. Are you, you're not sure if you did? So, the epidural is the needle that they put in your back so that it is, takes away the pain or you can't really feel anything? Yes. So, I did have an epidural. I had it with both. And I remember they did Pitocin with both. Oh, interesting. Okay. Okay. Because I was familiar with those terms. I mean, after the fact. I knew that so, I had had the epidural. And of course, you're in the experience, you're in the labor, and they ask you, do you want an epidural? Well, I mean, I, I was familiar with it, but I certainly didn't know everything about it. Sorry, I it's like pouring it. rain right now. Yeah, it is. Hopefully this will be over really soon. So I went ahead and had the epidural because we were at a point in the labor where it was time. And then you arrived, Dr. Wu arrived, and um, after the nurses called him, 
We waited just a little bit for Dr. Wu, not long, and then delivered. You were healthy. They took the, uh, what is it, the app score? Is it the APGARS? APGAR score, and that was fine, which was, I had learned in Lamaze about that. Um, one thing about the Lamaze, uh, your dad and I definitely had practiced the Lamaze Lama, the breathing, knew what to expect as far as my body, and he was coaching me the whole time. Dad was? Yeah. Yeah. He was there the whole like time. Like how? Coaching. What was he doing? Well, um, when you're going through the labor in the most difficult times, he would refocus me. He would say, remember to breathe, take a deep breath, and then we would rest because a contraction would go away. So wait, so is this before the epidural then? Yeah, he was there the whole time. The whole time. He was there from the time I was admitted. Well, but I mean the, the coaching part. He was coaching the whole time. Okay, okay. You know, because between the two of us, we're learning how to translate what we've learned in Lamaze to the actual reality. I mean, it's not, every case isn't going to go exactly like they teach you in Lamaze. So there are variables. And so you're open to those, but you're walking through it with your own body. I mean, in terms of experience and feeling it. And so, like I said a minute ago, when they said, do you want an epidural? I'm, I'm familiar with it, but don't know what's going to happen. And so when I got numb, then I'm realizing, oh, that's what the epidural does, you know? Oh, so that's interesting. So you didn't really know what it was. Well, no. When you said, in terms yes. of, right. So do you remember getting it? Yes. What do you remember? Just that it was not as bad as it sounds. Plus the fact that you're in labor, you know, you just have a very difficult contraction and that they suggest the epidural. And so you're thinking, well, yeah, anything to relieve this pain. And so the shot, you know, took however long to go into my system. And then, um, after that, the Pitocin. So prior to that, were you in the bed or were you like walking oh, I was around? In, no, I was you? in the bed the whole time. Did you want to be in the bed? or? Yes. Yep. I was totally comfortable in the bed. Yes. Did yep. you, did they tell you at Lamaze that you might want to walk around and stuff mm-hmm. to help? Nope. Yeah, okay. but they, there was that option, but I had no. I just wanted it over (laughs) and whatever I had to do, which once again, that is my, that's my training by my mom. You know, I was raised to believe that the medical field would guide you through whatever you needed for your body. So when they said, you know, you can stay in the bed, I'm like, okay. So if I read a book or your dad and I, sit and talk or he's sitting next to me we were I was once again in that mode of waiting waiting for the moment it was down to the moment from May 4th through May 18th so I was ready to just deliver just get this baby out Mm -hmm. so that was my attitude about everything that was coming externally it's kind of like yep if that's what's going to happen if that's what needs to happen then let's just get this done Yes. If I have to have Pitocin, yes, let's just do that. Let's just get this done. Now, I never even considered cesarean. 
I didn't think there was any reason that I would have to consider it, and I don't know what I would have done. I probably would have trusted and gone through it that way, but I didn't have to. I considered myself healthy and very active at that time, so I didn't anticipate any difficulty. So what about after the birth? Did they hand me to you immediately? Yes, yes, immediately. Yep. I'm trying to think of how long we were in the hospital at that time. He may have been in the hospital like at least three days, at least. And I remember, I think the second night where they fixed a dinner for your husband and you to have in a small room off by yourselves. It was, uh, it was special. There was all, there was always something special to make the three days kind of move through, not quickly, but focused on nursing on, and of course the nursing began and, um, yeah, tell me about that. Yeah. It was, um, in the hospital. It was, how can I say, um, when I look back at it, it was routinely, even though that time formula was very big, I mean, there was there was no doubt that a lot of people depended on formula. So when I decided to nurse, it was, I don't want to say I was in the minority, but... Why did you want to nurse? Because I was a natural person. I was very active physically. And I thought there should be no physical reason why I couldn't do it. Okay. And that would be the best thing for my baby. And so I went ahead and started attempting to nurse. And, you know, they kind of coaxed me in the term, in the way that, um, oh, well, just switch to that other side. You know, maybe there's something different about this nipple than there is about that. And so they would switch me from different sides. And of course you're tired. And so you're just ready to do whatever. And it was hard to work at anything. I did have difficulty with hemorrhoids. And so it was uncomfortable. So the nurses in the hospital, between the hemorrhoids and the nursing, I was uncomfortable once again. I was disappointed that I had lost all my baby weight. If I just lost six pounds, nine ounces, then at least I should look like I lost six pounds, nine ounces. So that was a little disappointing. My feet were still swollen. You know, it didn't, it didn't drop immediate, like, immediately like I had thought. So those three days in the hospital were informative, but clouded by my own... Um, it sounds like disappointment. Well, it was, it was just... Expectations. Small, yeah, small disappointment, but also clouded by a real lack of knowing if you could have something that would take a hemorrhoid away right away nobody said well here do this and, the, and your hemorrhoids will be taken care of same thing with the nursing i'm going through everything they're telling me about the nursing and there was no one saying well if you do this then that's going to work because in your mind you have an expectation of what the nursing should look like, feel like, and and in your case, you didn't gain any weight when we left the hospital. You you had gained very little. And so even though I was spending all this time nursing you, and they leave and they let you go, thinking letting you know that once you get home and get relaxed and get in your own place, it'll it'll be okay. So that's how I went home. 
very excited to go home, kind of like, oh, this nursing will get better. And it didn't get better. It did not get better. You drop below your birth weight after a couple weeks. We were supposed to take a trip from New York to Washington, D.C. And um, I checked with the doctor beforehand. The doctor, eh, he was kind of iffy on it, like, well, you should be okay. So we went, and I have a picture of you where your legs were just like chicken legs. It was like... I remember that picture. Oh, yeah. I do. I look like malnourished. Yeah, and I had a little hat on you and this little outfit that was cute, but you're sitting there with Dad holding you on like a bridge, and um, your little legs are hanging over, and they really did. To me, it just looked like chicken legs, and I... And I'm, like, squalling in the picture. Yeah. And you were crying all the time. And so, you know, you're worried about colic. Is this baby crying all the time because they're colicky? And now, now my mom had arrived to help. And so she would do the same thing. And I called the Lamaze counselor. And everyone just said the same thing. Keep at it. Just keep at it. Well, I kept at it, but you're were not gaining weight. When you dropped below your birth weight, of course, I got concerned, but everybody just said, keep at it. So I kept at it, and it didn't get any better. So anyhow, someone suggested that, or maybe my mom suggested, that it would be a problem to go ahead and add formula to nursing. And basically, what, what ended up happening was me just weaning you off my breast because you were content to just lay there and just suck for, you know, an hour. And so that's why they'd say, well, switch to the other breast. Well, I'd switch to the other breast, and then you just want to suck for an hour. And um, pacifiers were big at that time, so you used pacifiers. Did someone tell you if she's nursing for an hour straight, then it's not working? But it wasn't nursing. It was just sucking. I mean, my milk was not flowing the way that it should have been between and the sucking actually pulls the milk and so there it was not extracting it was not being pulled so to wean you it didn't take that long and then when we added the formula you started to gain weight and i mean we were down to ounces trying to figure out if you were gaining weight we were down to give her this many ounces and then bring her in and we'll check her we'll weigh her to see if she's gained any weight Go ahead and give her this many ounces, and then we'll weigh her and check her, like in two or three days. Unlike you, when you had your baby, and you kept a total legal pad of every single time you fed, and I thought at that time, when I saw you do that, I thought, nobody ever told me to do that. <laughs> they just, I was, I was constantly trying to find a resource that would help me solve the problem. Was the problem me? Was the problem my baby? Was the problem Lamaze? And not everybody, and the Lamaze people do tell you, not everybody's cut out for it. Not everybody can succeed in it. They didn't use the word succeed, but not everybody can nurse. It's not for everyone, I think was probably the way that they said it. It's not for everyone. So there was there were all those things of, hoping, an expectation of, oh, 
this will go really well and my baby will be healthy and robust and none of that happened. None of that happened. Plus I had an unhappy baby, which was difficult for me to. Did that stress you out a lot? Yeah. Well, I think the whole thing, I think the nursing stressed me out and the inability to quote succeed in it stressed me out. And then you're not gaining any weight stressed me out. How did that stress you out? Well, in terms what of thoughts? what happens, you know, people started to be a little concerned when you went below your birth weight. And that's when the doctor said, do this for three days and come in and then do this for three days and come in. And that's when I thought, well, finally, we're going to get somewhere. Then added formula. And he may have been the one to say, I don't know whether it was my mom or him or both of them, that I trusted that that was the way to go. And so I added the formula. How do you feel about that now? Um, fine. I think that, that that was the answer. I do believe that that was the answer. I don't know what the problem was. So I believe that that was an answer that what I was looking for. I remember last weekend when it came up, you said something like, you don't know at the time what the long-term implications are or something like that. Yeah, you don't. You don't in terms of, I mean, something as simple as nursing. You know, you're taught in Lamaze or you learn from from your friends, oh, it's such a special time, it's such a such a cuddling time, and your baby's so relaxed, and you're so relaxed, and that was not my experience at all. Yeah. And so that expectation is dashed, and like I said, you just get into that cycle of thinking, is it me? Is it my baby? Am I in the wrong position? Am I not capable of producing the milk that my baby needs? And of course, Lamaze would say, well, of course you're, you're capable of it. But reality was for me, I couldn't produce it. And whether he, um, the baby wasn't sucking enough to whatever, whatever the answer was, I was searching for an answer that wasn't being answered by anything but formula we got on the formula, that's when there was an obvious, visible sign of, oh, we are maybe out of the woods here. Because I was starting to gain Starting to gain, yes. Yeah. And quieting down, able to sleep at night. You know, there's always this guilt feeling when your baby's crying. They don't, either they have to be changed or they're hungry. And I was the only source for feeding the hunger. Well, do you remember when Henry was born and I had the hardest time with breastfeeding? Yeah. At the at the beginning? Yeah. And I was going to give up. And then I just happened to talk to Sarah, my cousin. And she had a, she had a suggestion. And I said, remember I said to you, this is the last day. I'm not nursing after today. This is it. I'm going to try through tonight and then we're done. And then... I talked to her. She had a suggestion. I followed her suggestion, and things improved from there. But that's just funny how kind of parallel. Well, you know, I guess I didn't notice. I didn't know before that I was two weeks. I came two weeks after my due date, which Henry did too. And we both had a lot of trouble with breastfeeding. It's important to say, once again, from from my um, 
vantage point or perspective. When I nursed Matt, yeah, he weighed in at 7.3 or something. Yeah, similar to your weight, so there's not a big deal. But when I nursed him, I had the same experience, except I got a plugged duct. So my mom was there putting compresses on me. So I was nursing from one side, which I was similarly experiencing what I experienced with you. There happened to be someone at our church who had goats, and they suggested (laughs) that they would bring goat milk to church every Sunday, and that's what we did. We weaned Matt by putting him on goat's milk with my milk, and then he thrived successfully. So once again, it came back on me in terms of, I can't do this. I, I'm, I can't produce enough, which, which at that point, like I said before, it wasn't a success or a defeat. It just was what it was, and I needed to get through it. And so the formula for you succeeded in uh, weight, and the goat's milk for Matt succeeded in weight. Interesting. Yes. I'm, I want to know why you said before you thought you weren't capable of having children. There were a few reasons. It was 1979, and in the 70s, I graduated from high school in 69, so we're talking 10 years later with um, the climate of the 70s was difficult in terms of a lot of chaos in the United States and around the world, and so You had Watergate, you had Vietnam, you had Woodstock, you had all those things that I was, that I was involved in, my head and my emotions. And like I said, I graduated in 69. So those years, your dad and I got married in 74. And so we needed that time to get to know each other. But also there was the, the sense of, it was too volatile. The world was too volatile. There were so many things happening. There was, we were into drugs before you were born. Like recreationally, not addicts. Right. Recreationally, but also until we were probably, uh, we were married in 74. So I would say by 75, we had quit all of that, the lifestyle and the drugs. So there was four years of a clean lifestyle. So it didn't affect birth or anything. But in terms of knowing from 1974 to 79, just adjusting to a family, thinking about being responsible for other people in this volatile world that we were living in was not not stable enough for me. I I was concerned about bringing a child into this, into this world. And that was my reason at the time. I was not ready to bring a child into this world. And uh, like I said, it was five years later that I was more secure in my relationship with your father and also in life, in terms of living life together and partnering about other things, knowing that, no, this will be okay. This, this will be all right. And no matter what happens, we can go ahead and, pursue a family. So that was a change in... Well, lucky me. No, lucky us. 
to have a boy and a girl and to have them be healthy when they were born and to go through the experience together, your dad and I together. He would coach both times. He was there during the birth of both of you. He was always very helpful at home. So he is pretty great. Yeah. So I had no reason not to think that they were both positive experiences. And as a family, we would succeed because of, or we would work things out together. So that was. That's the end of our time. Good. That was good. (laughs) This has been Birth Aloud with Kristen Piscucci. If you'd like to reach me with questions or show ideas or anything else, you can email me at birthaloudradio at gmail.com. Thanks for being here with us. We'll be back every other Sunday at 1 p.m. on WLXU. We'll see you next time.